Hi, my name is Darren uh, from HGG.tax. We have a website, HGG.tax, where we talk about all things offshore international tax. Today, I want to talk to you about 10 facts for Singaporeans investing in U.S. real estate. So I've been in Singapore for coming on 10 years now, and we've dealt with hundreds, probably thousands of clients who have, as non-Americans, invested in U.S. real estate. So today, on a, this, I was actually inspired by some emails I got just this morning here in Singapore from Singaporeans asking questions on, on particular treatment uh, from, from a tax point of view of real estate income in the U.S. versus the way it's treated in Singapore. So I thought I'd make this video. And the video will be pretty quick and very high level. If you want more details, feel free to reach out to us via website and we can probably uh, schedule a more detailed consult to get into your unique situation. So again, this is not tax advice. We're having a general conversation here on what I consider to be, let's say, four facts that a Singaporean should keep in mind when they're investing in U.S. real estate. So the first thing is you need to pay taxes. It sounds simple. I know it sounds really simple, but trust me, some people haven't figured that out yet. You need to pay taxes. All, all things being equal, generally speaking, yes, there are exceptions, but generally speaking, if you have U.S a U.S. CITES asset that is income producing, and this it's particularly with real estate, you need to pay your fair share of taxes. And that those taxes will be due whether the income arises from rental activity or from actually selling a property. Either way, chances are, yes, there are exceptions, because this is tax, right? There always are exceptions. But generally speaking, you need to pay taxes. Now, in, in terms of, let, let's talk about income taxes that would arise from when you have your rental property and you're getting rent. The default is that it's treated as something called FDAP. I, I know it's a bit, sounds uh, opaque, but fixed determinable annual periodic. So it's a flat tax of 30% withholding on the income that arises from your rental activity. Now this 30% can be reduced by tax tree. So for example, if you were in Indonesia, you may be able to get some sort of benefit as a, uh, because of the treaty that the U.S. has with Indonesia or Australia, New Zealand or uh, Philippines and, and so on. Unfortunately, at this point in time, there is no tax treaty with Singapore and we have no reason to believe that there's an intent to sign. Every once in a while it pops up, but seriously, it has no momentum. I don't expect any tax treaty with Singapore anytime soon. So it's going to be flat tax at 30%. However, you can elect for the rental activity to be treated as ECI, effectively connected income. So you speak to your chosen tax professional, you make that election, and you get to reduce your effective rate of tax. How do you do that? Because you get to deduct your expenses. You know, there's a code section, section 162, and we get into that later on. But you get to deduct expenses that are considered to be ordinary and necessary to, to that line of business, which is renting it out. So, so for example, your estate, your agent fees, the whatever the property taxes, maybe if you have mortgage interest, uh, HOA, homeowners association fees will be deductible, insurance, depreciation, stuff like that. So speak to your chosen tax professional. Uh, because that's one way potentially of seriously saving on taxes from your rental activity. So that's number one. Number two, in order to file tax returns with the U.S., you need tax IDs. And again, this is something that seems relatively obvious for some people, but not for others. You need a tax ID and it's not going to be free. You're probably going to need to pay a professional to help you do it because it's exceedingly difficult for an individual uh, to figure out how to apply for a tax ID on their own. Uh, either if Assuming that you hold the property in your own name, which we never advise, you don't put stuff in your name, 
The U.S. is particularly litigious, as you should know. So we would advise that you hold it through some sort of structure. But if you have it in your own name, you need an individual tax identification number. If you choose to apply for one in your own, you can go to, well, go to the IRS website. You would see that you would need to send in your Singaporean passport. So you need to drop it in the in the, with the courier, you put it in the mail, you mail it to the IRS, and you wait for however long it takes for them to process it and send back to you. Nobody wants to get to, to be without the Singaporean passport for a considerable period of time. Therefore, as I mentioned, you need to pay a professional. You go to the IRS website and look for certified acceptance agents in Singapore, and a bunch of them will pop up. We happen to be one of, one of those acceptance agents in Singapore. But you don't need to choose us. You can choose anybody you like to help verify your passport so you can hold on to it. And this person will certify that, it's, that it is you who've signed this form and they've witnessed, they've witnessed everything, so everything is fair, so you can hold on to your passport. Alternatively, if you hold the rental property through a structure, the company that you use to, to hold the property needs to have a tax ID called an EIN. And again, it's really difficult because when you're uh, filling out the, the, the SS form for the, e, for the EIN number, you need to have a responsible person on that form. That responsible person needs to have a, a social or they need to have an EIN if it's, if it's a company, if the responsible entity is, is a company. So it's, it's really hard for a non-resident alien, for Singaporean, for a non-American to apply for a tax ID for a company. So chances are, again, you'll need to engage a professional to do it for you. And it, 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 it takes a bit, it takes a while, it needs to be faxed in, that person needs to get power of attorney, and then they need to call after it's been submitted and get it, and then it's mailed to you. And it takes a long time for mail to get from the US to Singapore, as everybody knows. So the second point, you need to get a tax ID, and chances are you probably would like to pay a professional to get it for you. So again, the first thing is that taxes need to be paid, and for taxes to be paid, you need to get a tax ID. The third thing, uh, implicit in the first point, the taxes need to be paid. We did mention expenses. And the thing is, and this is a fun point, you get to deduct expenses. Now, it's not as straightforward as people think. You know, I had this long exchange with a client over the weekend, and the, the client is insisting on, on a whole bunch of repairs and upgrades it into the property to be expensed. Okay, it doesn't work that you know, in, in a way somehow intuitively you would expect it to work sometimes. So in order for the expenses to be deducted against that property, generally speaking, of course, there are always exceptions. We need to identify whether the, the amount that you paid is, be, is to be written off as an expense or whether it needs to be capitalized and expensed over a number of years. So you can't just take, you know, I, yeah, I graded the property. I paid a couple hundred thousand dollars and I did an extension. I did this and I did that. I want to see deducted now. Sometimes that's going to be uh, not possible because it needs to be capitalized and it needs to be depreciated over a certain number of years. So if, if it can be expensive, it can be written off in the year in which it's incurred, then absolutely section 162, as we mentioned earlier, once it's ordinary and necessary, we get to deduct it. That is no problem. That is a no-brainer. This, uh, this, of course, we're referring to properties that did elect the ECI to treat their rental income as ECI. So yes, ordinary and necessary, we will write it off. However, there's a section 263A, which mandates, so it's not really, you know, up to us, generally speaking, if it is that the, the, the whatever it is that the improvement is, is deemed to be capital in nature, so it, it is improved, you know, it has improved the, so it's not like a quick, you know, I, I fix the leak, maybe you, reach, you, you change the plumbing in the building. Or maybe you change the roof or you improve something that needs to be capitalized and you cannot write it off in the same year. It needs to be written off over a period of years. So speak to your chosen tax professional to understand those distinctions. However, with everything, there's a, there's an exception. Yes, there's a de minimis rule. There's a de minimis $2,500 rule. There are ways of getting certain things written off in the year in which it incurs, which people like for, you know, for obvious reasons. 
speak to your professional about that. So that's number three expenses. Number four, when you sell the property as a non-American, either through whether you're selling it via your entity or you had it to your own name and you're selling it, it will be subject to something called FRPTA. This is the Foreign Investment and Real Property Tax Act of 1980. As a result, I guess think about it, you know, think about it from the U.S.'s point of view. The U.S. is a completely open, one of the freest economies in the world. Anyone can come in and buy a property, assuming it's not of strategic interest, national security, whatever. You can buy real estate, you can buy whatever you like. Now, people sell, taxes are due, and there's, you know, there's a serious incentive to just run away and not pay your taxes, right? So as a result, there's a withholding. There's a, an, at the federal level, there's a, I think it's 15% withholding. Up the, the top line, the, the actual gross selling price, it'll be subject to withholding. And certain states, for example, California has a FERPTA of three and a third percent, I think it is. So again, uh, of, of the top, they will withhold and uh, you file your return, timely file your return. And if the withholding at the federal or the state level is deemed to be excessive, you will get a refund. Or if you made a loss, sometimes, you know, unfortunately things didn't work out and it's a loss. You, you will get a refund, but the withholding must be done. So it's something that is the law, it's unavoidable. Actually, no, there are exceptions to every rule. <laughs> this is tax, right? So you can apply for a withholding certificate and it's going to be a relatively expensive process. And it does take some sort of strategic planning because if it is that you have an offer on the table and that person wants to execute immediately, bear in mind that that withholding certificate application does take time. You know, the IRS promises to turn it over within a few weeks or whatever, a few, a couple months, but sometimes it takes longer. Sometimes it's quick. Sometimes, most times it takes longer, right? So do bear that in mind if it is that you intend to sell early on in that negotiation when you're negotiating with the, the buyer, you may want to get your tax team involved to apply for that withholding certificate. So four things you need to keep in mind is a Singaporean investing in U.S. real estate. If you want to find out more, if you want to engage us for a consult, please reach out to us at hdj.tax. Thank you. So if you're a six, seven, or eight-figure investor, entrepreneur, or business owner who needs a tailor-made solution from a qualified team of professionals, we can help you achieve the international lifestyle, the freedom, and even the tax savings you're looking for. Visit us at htj.tax and live that international life.